Hello and welcome back to the Motorsport Bearthug podcast. I'm your host Didi and joining me today once again is my friend and your co-host Vedan. On this episode, we'll basically be closing out the year, uh, looking at the headlines of what has been going on for the last couple of weeks uh, and really wrap up. So, let's get into it. Let's grab some chai, take our seats, read your opinions and dive right into conversation. Hello Vedan. Uh it's been over a month or so I believe uh since we sat down. We pretty much gave up uh with two races to go in the formula 1 calendar and uh we we didn't we didn't care at all um but are you ready <laughs> for the 2023 you know racing season to kick off oh yes absolutely uh i mean we did uh, yeah as you said we didn't record and we didn't come up with the podcast for the last month or so yeah, but we yeah, were busy we, as we well. met once yeah 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 i mean we didn't care about the racing that was going on but we were busy as well so it's not like that we totally gave up right but yeah absolutely uh, 2023 bring it on because i mean we always say it we always say it for the next year that it's going to be very exciting but i believe 2023 is is genuinely going to be exciting not only because it's a new season but formula e is coming up with new cars we have a lot more manufacturers in the the uh, top category in vec the lemo hybrid category and himsa and himsa absolutely yes and moto gp is going to have a very exciting title battle with ducati finally you know winning a championship and being and working things out but also because they now have two top dog drivers or uh, riders sorry And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be exciting. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, at the start of this year, you know, we said it's going to be exciting, and it it did pay off. You know, yes, the F one season was not not exciting, but talk about MotoGP, talk about IndyCar, talk about yeah. uh, the top category in WEC. It it was nerve wracking stuff. Like you know, there was there was no sleep. There was no sleep. You <laughs> no were sleep. always <laughs> on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, let's let's get into the most hard hitting question. as the season closed down for 2022 obviously we have the last race of 2022 today going on as we are recording the gulf 12 hours and then the first race of 2023 will be on starting on the 1st of january or 31st december depending on where you are uh, as the dakar rally uh, yep. but let's get into the most hardening question and the very first question is vedant when will ferrari stop repeating its mistakes <laughs> Now, obviously, obviously, this has been in the press uh, for about three weeks now, and we are a little late to the party, but uh, doesn't make it any less irrelevant. I mean, the Ferrari leadership pushed out Matteo Binotto essentially, the man who's been with Ferrari from being a test engineer to being the team principal. And in your opinion, was that the right call? Uh, no, I mean, firstly, as you said, Ferrari and simply making the same mistakes they have made over the last decade and more decade and a half like since 27 since the era of michael schumacher and ross brown and basically since luca luca di montezemolo left sort of yeah i mean yeah exactly i mean these these things have been going on far too often and i mean we saw it during fernando alonso's era and uh, sebastian vettel's era as well so it's it's the same mistake but i think it was the wrong call because 
No, Matteo Benotto. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Matteo, Matteo Benotto himself said that 2022, like they were, they were not ready. Like according to him, they were not ready to win the championship in 22. They were not looking to win the championship in 22, basically. And he was working towards a plan for 2023. So, right, they had, they had a strong car and they made mistakes and they lost the championship because of their own mistakes. But when your leader says that we want to win in 23 and not 22, there might be some thought process behind his him saying that, right? So I think maybe they they took their mistakes too seriously, but they didn't take their leader too seriously. Is probably what I'm saying. Yeah. So what w- what do you think would have been the right path ahead? Because what I feel is, uh, you know, instead of axing Matya Benotto essentially. um what should have been done is you know he should have been provided with more support because not only was he leading the technical side of things he was also leading the track operations and you know uh, everything that was going on there's usually two three people managing you know that top tier yeah. from the top tier of leadership and i think that was what was missing i think martin miller just needed a little bit more support um doing you know taking care of the team both at the factory and at the track and i think that would have helped him make a step forward towards reducing the operate what do we call you know the operational inefficiencies or the mistakes that ferrari makes has made throughout the season uh, moving on to next year but what do you think is going on why why does every new ferrari ceo think that they have the right idea of what needs to be done with the <laughs> f1 team because all of all of the new uh, all of the new you know ferrari team principles have come after a change in leadership and one of the yeah. things that was written about extensively when Matteo Benotto resigned was pushed out was the fact that you know Matteo was close with the previous CEO and he was backed up by the previous CEO and it was a change in leadership that really put his position in jeopardy so what are your thoughts about that yeah i mean i don't know is it i basically it's come down, comes down to some some sort of politics some sort of you know keeping being on the good side of people i guess because not everyone sees your vision and not everyone aligns with your vision but at the same time ferrari uh, i mean and you said uh, that martia you know to had a lot of work on him and he didn't have support for the basically the top job but ferrari did shake up their leadership leadership structure when martia benotto was appointed team principal so i don't remember it exactly but there was some sort of shake up in that leadership structure right so maybe just you know just as you said just give him more support and that but yeah i i don't know i don't know how this the same thing keep happening at ferrari and because it has been far too often that the not only the team principal but the leadership as a whole has changed at ferrari right and it's 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 a cycle now and yeah i mean as fans as ferrari fans people always say it's always next year because but it's with always next year comes that you know the same mistakes will be repeated again but yeah yeah uh it's <laughs> yeah it's, it's exactly like like you said right and i mean yes mate benotto did bring ferrari back from literally being sixth in the championship over the yep. course of two years and he is he's, he's shown you know not not extravagant progress or you know in, insane progress with the team but what do you would expect from uh, a team like uh, ferrari to to be able to bounce back and that's been great and you know he's he's done a great job 
similar questions were raised, you know, when uh, Arifa Bene was axed and Ferrari had been doing good. Yes, it was the operational inefficiencies that led to get being him axed also. But uh, yeah, exactly. again, there's, there's not a whole lot other than that going on there. But in my opinion, you know, when I look at it and when I look at what was happening 10 years before this, it just goes to show how important that trifecta of Ross Braun, Michael Schumacher and John Todd was. Yeah. And how they held the ship together and had the power to make the calls that were needed in order to push Ferrari towards the championship winning team. And we didn't see that with Mathia. He, he didn't have the support of the CEO after, after you know, the CEO got changed. Um, and he, it didn't seem like, you know, the top leadership was there as closely working with Mathia as closely as maybe, you know, Michael Schumacher, John Todd and Ross Braun were working. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those three, as I said at the starting, till 2007, you know, was like two thousand till 2006 were un, unbeatable. And uh, I mean, that was a dream team of sorts. Like we had at uh, Red Bull during the 2010s and at Mercedes during, during the late 2010s. But uh, I think Ferrari, they need a fundamental change of philosophy. They... Because I like no one knows what's going on within that organization, be it the leadership, be it the team working on the ground level, be it the race team, whatever. But I think you know a fundamental change in philosophy, a fundamental a fundamental change in the organization is needed. Because then, if 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 that does not happen, it'll like the same things will be repeated. Whoever they appoint as team principal for next season will come under pressure because they are the Ferrari team principal. They will not be able to perform. You know, they'll, they'll come second or third in the championship again for the next two years. And then they'll get, get sacked again. So it doesn't make any sense to keep repeating that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, essentially Ferrari has winded the clock back by two years all yeah. over again regardless of who takes up the reins you know they're not going to win straight away just because they had a car a really good car at the start of this year yeah absolutely uh, which is not the case anymore you know now mercedes is much closer to ferrari than ferrari was closer to Very red good, bull yeah. uh, at the start of the year so there you go but here's a follow-up question to this obviously right now fred Vasso's name has been thrown around a lot um in on social media and everywhere else as the successor to Matia Binotto, especially given, you know, apparently there, there are uh, conspiracy theories that say Charles Leclerc's uh, team, basically, yeah. that, <laughs> that manages him, were also the reason behind, you know, were also another reason wh- Matia, why Matia yeah, Binotto yeah. eventually left. Uh, so, and Charles has very close ties to Fred Vassour, who he raced for for quite a few years. So, how do you see Fred Vassour being, like, how does Fred Vassour take Ferrari from being this team who comes very close to winning a championship to a championship winning team because from what I can see is yes Fred Vassars has great 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 you know success in the junior formulas uh, in identifying who the great drivers are of tomorrow in Formula 1 but he's not really done a lot with Sauber uh, in the last however many years that he's been with them Uh, Sauber has been a lower midfield team through and through and the only time we even thought that Sauber would make a step was the one year that Charles was driving that car. And that was it. That was it. So it's not like he's done a great job in, you know, pushing that team to that next level 
to you know bring it up to the midfield or the upper midfield teams like a like a McLaren or maybe an Alpine and Sauber has been there the last i can remember Sauber being up there was in the BMW days yeah and for the last 15 15 years or so you know it's it's just been 8th 9th and and so on yeah and i mean as you said when we thought about Sauber going up when Charles Leclerc joined that's also when Alfa Romeo joined so it was again you know the parallels with a bmw uh, a, a basically a factory team or a you know big sponsorship team as such but uh, yeah as you said fred fred vasor has done the basics required at sober to you know beat their lower rivals beat like compete with beat williams and haas pretty yeah. much as much as much as yeah, exactly so compete with them and beat williams and beat haas and all that and yeah we this year sober started really well because they had planned on working on the new car for you know for the rest of last season basically and they also had a lot of lot more uh, testing time and winter time than the other teams but they start and they started off really well uh, like bottas was right there fighting with the mercedes at the start, start of the season there were memes about bottas beating the mercedes right and uh, and and joe guanyu also did pretty well but somewhere around mid mid season they stopped scoring points they so stopped developing the car i don't know what happened but it it just stopped it stagnated everything stagnated at sober so i don't see how fred vasor can be a revolutionary change at ferrari he might get appointed he might because he has done enough at in motorsport and he has done enough in formula 1 to be a valid candidate as such you know but i don't see how he can be revolutionary in in such a way but here's the other question also right uh, that that team principal position is at ferrari is a poison chalice Like yeah, it comes with it comes with an end date. It it's it doesn't exactly. come with exactly. It, you know, it starts off with an end date, and you might be able to you know peel that sticker off eventually. But it it does come <laughs> with that sticker on with with the job. Uh, and I think Toto Wolff also made a comment regarding the same thing. You know about how he thought that Matthew Binotto lasted much longer than than he would have an- anticipated, and <laughs> he congratulated <laughs> Matthew for that or some something along those lines. Uh, but there was a comment like that. Uh, which again goes to show that you know it it is very well known in the paddock that ferrari will continue making this mis- these mistakes and it's almost as if like the threat of ferrari winning a world championship is nullified knowing the fact that oh you know <laughs> they are going to mess it up eventually yeah maybe ferrari just need another uh, rally car driver or rally car co-pilot to come in and you know revolutionize the way the sport as is yeah, ferrari is i guess sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right let's let's move on to the next question i mean th- that was pretty much the big question you know for us to close out 2022 cuz that was probably like the biggest talking point at least for us yeah i mean fans, that was the uh, story of 2022 for formula 1 as such yeah yeah the, at the beginning of the year it was okay why is matia talking about not winning the world championship when he has a world yeah. championship winning car <laughs> and then now it is okay why is matia going what he was saying was the truth and he knew what he was talking about uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clearly so yeah. but yeah let's 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 move on let's talk about the next question that we have and that is 
are we going to lose LMP2 from the World Endurance Championship grid? Now, LMP2 has been one of the closest battles, I feel, on the WEC grid always. Like, if you t- tune into a, you know, endurance race, you will always have a good time watching the LMP2 cars fight, even if, you know, there's a huge gap. And usually there's not a huge gap in GT, GT and GTD, or I'm mixing up IMSA and WEC classes now. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, but even, even with the hyper cars, um, usually there's one car out there leading pretty much uh, until something breaks down but you can always rely on LMP2 to provide you with a great race how do you feel about <laughs> it yeah I mean it, it's actually sad and see the only reason GT GT Pro was exciting in VEC uh, was because there were only 4 cars or 5 and only 2 like you know a small number of cars so there were last season there were five cars and you had you have three podium places. So that's the only reason it is exciting. Otherwise, LMP2 with such a long grid is much more exciting. And I think it would be a shame to lose them in a VEC because it, it's a such it's such a vital part of multi-class racing as such. You know, it's multi-class racing if you have seen it, if you have watched. Lemo and or any endurance race, multi-class racing is absolutely amazing, right? And to to see LMP2 in that because like VEC till now we had four we had four classes, so LMP2 was exciting and LMP2 were at the start of this season LMP2 were fighting uh, for overall wins. Yeah, for for overall wins exactly. So I mean it. it it was exciting and it will be a shame to lose out LMP2. But at the same time, the reason we will potentially lose out on LMP2 is because the the hypercar grid... Be like, yeah. yeah, it'll be like... They're hoping for 20 to 25 hypercars, I believe, given that Glickenhaus and I think... Vanwall get their entries in. Vanwall get their entries in. And then again, obviously, the GTD Pro and GTD AM categories will be basically mixed into one it'll just be one category of gt gt3 which is probably the best thing to happen to uh, endurance racing in a long long time (laughs) exactly uh so i'm I'm really looking forward to that but i think you know lmp2 mixing it in there and just being a grid of its own because it's not just about the racing it's also about the people who want to go racing right because then the focus will really be okay can we afford a gt3 program and all these cars which were in vec will only be a part of all the two ACO series and then IMSA if, if you can run stateside, right? Yeah. So IMSA will still have a few LMP2 entries, but then it will just be uh, the ACO European series and the Asian Lemo series. And yeah. and that will be it. So, so people like privateers who really want to go racing and go racing in the fastest way possible, which is right now the LMP2 car, uh, that will be taken away from them. And in, in my opinion, you know, that will be a huge loss for the folks who just want to go racing because... I know I want to go racing and, you know, be able to engineer like an LMP2 car in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it will, it will be a loss because they will lose out on sponsorship. The sponsorship quote that they, like, they, right now they quote that we, we will race in the biggest uh, endurance racing championship of the world and we'll race at uh, Limo 100% guaranteed, right? And we'll race against the likes of Toyota and whatnot. Being demoted to the three regional championships 
just makes their uh like their appeal to the sponsors very less and their sponsorship money very less and even the drivers that they hire like right now you have all the uh, indycar and formula e drivers ex formula 1 yeah, drivers ex formula 1 drivers and all these top people you know the the premier class of drivers as such driving in the lmp2 cars the the platinum class as they call in uh, vec right yeah so when you go to when they when when it demote it, it gets demoted sorry to the regional series these drivers won't be driving for lmp2 yeah they'll they'll yeah. they'll rather take a gt3 uh, seat than an lmp2 seat right so it's 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 a great shame for lmp2 as such but when you look at it specifically in the views of vec it's 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 a double sided coin it is it's just yeah it's it, it, it's just necessary because yeah. of like you know it's it's really taking the racing often like the endurance racing to an next level given the grid that we are going to have in the future and why like it's not like i i don't think anyone at wec wants to lose lmp2 but it's Yeah there's exactly. nothing they can do exactly. about it. <laughs> I think at the end of it you know it'll be just uh, the sort of the right now we have the pro am LMP2 pro am class right so it will be the pro am grid on the regional championships and then they'll fight out fight it out for basically prestige to get selected into uh Lemo because Lemo will invite So these, these yeah, Lemo is the only race that will have LMP2. I think the I think uh, the article said that Lemo will reserve 15 spots for LMP2 cars in the future. And obviously, we we're talking about this in the 2024 time frame, not in the 2023 yeah. time frame, because we won't have as many cars on the grid, uh, LMH cars on the grid, and you know, uh, the GT class will still not be GT3 until 2024. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's it's a great debate, but it'll be a, it it's not. I mean, it it'll be a shame for LMP2. but we get to see hypercar action and in gt3 action among the biggest manufacturers on the planet so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, i really hope you know um i really hope glickenhaus and vanwall get get through you know they they get their uh, whatever licenses whatever whatever they call it yeah. and then uh, they get to race in the lmh uh, category and in and in imsa uh, in the gtp category right because right now i think we have four manufacturers in imsa and if these other manufacturers like i think glickenhaus definitely wants to run in imsa but they haven't uh, been you know accredited to yeah. run in in the gtp category so th- that's another aspect but anyway this is not the conversation about that uh let's let's not mix mix the two but he- here's another idea right so right now we have the fanatic gt world challenge right uh they have the endurance cup the sprint cup and then they have the regional cups all over the place there yeah. the european the american uh i don't know if there's an asian one uh, i'm i'm not sure but could lmp2 piggyback off of that and create more racing for themselves on those weekends could fanatic capitalize on the gt world series and you know have their own endurance series almost uh in in this way i think there <laughs> is an opportunity there for uh you know uh wh- whoever's running the series i think it's like fanatic aws but i'm not sure who the promoter is but it's a great opportunity for that promoter who runs the you know the fanatic gt world championship right now to capitalize on the lack of an lmp2 calendar like a wec lmp2 calendar yeah. and move it on to you know and club it with the different gt series that they're running right now and provide you know more racing action for the fans and more racing for the private teams that want to go racing 
Yeah, I mean, that's an absolutely brilliant idea. That is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, not even the the regional Fanatic uh, GT championships, even if they do it with the world championship, because for, uh, like, the regional, I don't know about IMSA, but the IMSA has a lot of races, right? But the uh, Asian Lemo and the European Lemo Championships don't have a lot of races. Asian Lemo has like five races, four five, or five races, yeah, yeah. yeah. And European Lemo has again five to seven races, maybe. And if that, you know, if as you said, if Fanatec GT Championship gets uh, LMP two to race for them, to race with them, it changes the whole thing for LMP two. They get a yeah, lot of, yeah. they get a lot more race weekends. They get, they'll get sponsorship money for that and yeah it'll be great for it'll be great for motorsports uh, as a whole exactly exactly all right talking about great for motorsports not so great <laughs> news or great news this is this is a weird one this next question is a weird one and that is what is the future of indycar going to look like now obviously the reason we're asking this question is because just last week it was announced that the indycar the indycar teams i guess uh, there's only two though so, uh, like, in terms of engine manufacturers, yeah. so Honda and Chevrolet, along with IndyCar, have stopped the 2.4-liter engine program after spending millions <laughs> and millions in development and testing now, um, this past year, of that engine. It is being said that IndyCar will simply adopt the hybrid system onto current engines moving forward. I don't think a date was announced or, the t- or a timeline was announced for that. But yeah, uh, and then, you know, and then the IndyCar teams, Penske, all of these teams will be expected to adapt their current DW12 chassis to accommodate for that hybrid system. What is the identity? And and the question coming out of this for me, at least, Vedant, is what is the identity of IndyCar moving forward? Because IndyCar was never a series that was, okay, I am like the pinnacle of motorsport, the pinnacle of innovation in motorsport, but they always kept up with the automotive trends in general, uh, sort yeah, of, yeah. right? Um, and which is why, you know, it's always about getting more automotive. The challenge for, in, for IndyCar has been to get more automotive manufacturers involved with the sport, and they haven't succeeded at doing that. They, they failed with Toyota, they failed with Ferrari, and they failed with other manufacturers who might have shown interest uh, to come in. So it's just about, um, you know, Honda and... Chevrolet and both the teams said at the very start of the program that hey uh, start starting 2023-2024 we won't be able to provide more than 8 to 10 engines each there just isn't enough budget for that so that was also one of the reasons why you know this had to finally come to a halt after wasting so much money already on it yeah which seems absurd um, but anyway to answer the question what is the identity of you know IndyCar moving forward up until now it's just been based on okay we are, I mean, it's safe to say they are one of the best racing spectacles, the greatest racing spectacle in open wheeler racing, at least. Uh, but what is it moving forward? Because the sport has basically been stagnant. So they, they've used the same chassis, the same engine for 10 years, but I'd say the sport has been stagnant for five years. That being said, the racing has not deteriorated at all. Uh, we just saw this season, you know, it went down to the last race. Great season overall, great Indy 500 and whatnot, right? So where does IndyCar go from here? Does it just take the L and hope that its uh, followers and the people, you know, watching the sport, new followers forget about it? Or does IndyCar do something with it? Because 
there is also a risk with introducing the hybrid system and that is the current grid which is still bad because even now like the engines are subsidized by indycar so all the both the manufacturers honda and chevrolet basically are losing money running running these indycar yeah. programs right uh because and then the risk of introducing the hybrid system is can all the teams afford that so right now we have on average i think 27 28 cars on the indycar grid per race and an additional five uh, for the indy 500 and you know introducing the hybrid system is basically introducing additional costs to every single driver's race program every single car's race program in indycar and it begs the question with will smaller teams fall out uh if that is done because if it's not introduced across the grid then you're looking at a, B- a weird bop in indycar which is not going to be fun for a couple of seasons until all cars have the hybrid system right so there's all these different aspects to this question but obviously <laughs> we are waiting for your view on it after i stop yeah. talking <laughs> i mean i see i haven't been following indycar for for you know as long as other people or even as long as you have has been but they have been using the same chassis they have been using the same engines for forever and i i don't i don't know if there is a plan for a chassis change or it... no it was it was it 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 came up like the question came up when yeah. they were doing the engine change um but uh, you know they said oh no which is not adapt the current chassis to fit the new engine yeah exactly because indycar the biggest problem with indycar is budget i mean i know from uh, budget is the biggest issue in motor racing right yeah all of motorsport yeah. but for indycar it's it's specially unique for indycar i mean what these teams like the budget that these teams have the the only reason indycar is working right now it's it's running right now is because they can go on with a low like teams can go on with a low budget you see so many smaller teams come up in indycar and like we see teams just doing a couple of races because they can afford to do that just doing the indie 500 and things like that right so again you know introducing hybrid systems as you said will only increase the budget and i mean at this point i'm just repeating what you said but i don't i don't see how indycar can move forward without i don't know doing something so like i guess the question the question changes here right because i gave way too much information is like basically we are now speculating what should indycar do to move forward and i guess stay relevant or stay just ex- as exciting and continue to grow its consumer base yeah i mean i don't know because the the innovation that i don't have any answer for that i'm so sorry <laughs> i mean indycar indycar produces good <laughs> because- racing indycar is not going growing anywhere in any direction as such but introducing i mean if if you risk your basically if you risk losing out your participants your manufacturer your the teams that are participating with you in in your championship sorry then you lose the championship and if you don't innovate if you don't do anything different then you just lose out on you know growing as such so it's a very fine balance and and it it's just not even about you know doing anything different it's also about simply keeping up like even a series like imsa that does not race as many times uh, you know doesn't have the budget of indycar even they have been able to attract more manufacturers in the top class 
they are having more and more cars every year and um, they have gone mm-hmm. hybrid as well so wrc has gone hybrid okay you can't expect ara to go hybrid anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> um you know but all the other racing series are going hybrid all the other racing series have more engine or like manufacturers yeah. per se than indycar so in indycar's facing a lot of problems and marketing was one of the one of the other problems which apparently according to new sources uh, roger penske and his team received a letter from five top indycar drivers or the union of indycar drivers something like that i mean there isn't an actual union of indycar drivers but something like that regarding you know uh, upping the marketing uh, efforts of of indycar so indycar is in a weird place where it has multiple problems even though it has been doing so great as a as a sporting yeah, spectrum i mean i think in, indycar is just sustaining itself you know off yeah, of that sporting just, just go on yeah. with it just meet your targets just you know match up your uh, course and don't grow till there's anything is there till there is any need for it just just do what you're doing sort of but to grow to to do anything different to do basically to meet the con- the market and the industry as such they would need more manufacturers to get involved because that's the only way the budget increases that's the only way anything innovative or anything you know happens in any direction as such i guess yeah yeah and and i think you know indycar is obviously i think indycar just announced announced the tv series uh, 100 days to indycar uh, which in 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 collaboration with cw which i had not even heard of until they announced that collaboration with cw yeah. and vice <laughs> um so, so so they are making efforts but i think i think the two things they really need to tackle is okay how do we get more manufacturers and how do we allow teams to grow from a technical standpoint uh, and that is by you know introduce, how can we introduce new technologies at a very low cost uh, so that we don't lose as many participants because i think indycar would like to have somewhere between like somewhere around 24 cars on average per race even if they lose out you know a few teams for a couple of years until uh, those hybrid systems are available uh, you know at a cheaper price later on yeah. or until other teams can build their budgets so i think yeah i think the biggest problem in my opinion at least that indycar is facing is one marketing which seems it seems that you know starting to tackle but i also believe that you know the teams themselves need to spend a lot more on their own marketing because you have to realize that okay yes even before like f1 started spending on its marketing the team started much earlier on and capitalized on the fact that you know f1 was not doing a lot of marketing and they grew their marketing departments to be really strong and to have a really good presence across uh, social media you know with fan engagement and all of that and it seems most of the marketing that is coming out of indycar at the moment is by drivers doing it themselves whether that is you know drivers doing podcasts like the bus bros podcast or drivers posting the, on their own social and things like that not a lot of uh, you know social media content is being created by even the teams themselves let alone indycar so i think it needs to be a two pronged approach where even the teams get involved I, like i understand the budgets are low but that is one other way where how you can increase your budget in the future right so like even a team like glickenhaus did a great job with yeah. their social media when even before they started out in wec So there's a lot to learn I feel and you know some of these IndyCar teams need to jump on that ship of that marketing ship and really grow their brand across uh across the sport. And again like I said you know the second thing thing is getting that third manufacturer in. Now when 
when the Ferrari thing happened, when you know when Ferrari apparently approached IndyCar and they said, okay, we're not interested in this because we can't build our own chassis, right? I wonder what are the different reasons why other manufacturers, especially like someone like Toyota, who is involved in NASCAR, who does have an engine, uh, who has multiple programs in multiple motorsports across not just US but across the world, why are they hesitant to enter IndyCar? Why are they saying no over and over again? Because you would imagine someone like Toyota or even Ford, for the, for the matter of fact, you know might want to invest uh, in IndyCar. And until and unless, like, obviously we know and we, we can't share our views on it and it'll just be speculation, so it's kind of pointless there. But it, it just begs the question, what is IndyCar doing that is stopping these teams from investing? Do the chassis rules need to be opened up? Does Dallara need to become just a chassis yeah. supplier instead of, you know, for the series, instead of, you know, being the sole supplier? You know, being one of the three or one of the four suppliers of the chassis like we have in, let's say, uh, LMP2, where I think we have like an Oreca chassis and some other chassis to go along mm-hmm. with that in, in endurance racing. Uh, so it, it just begs the question, what does really IndyCar need to do to continue pushing the technical side of things instead of simply allowing the teams yeah, to survive? Actually, and, I mean, you started with marketing and I'm, I just want to add, the only team doing some sort of marketing in IndyCar is McLaren because they have a... Uh, Formula One side to it as well, and they have the budget and they have everything, and even IndyCar themselves, like I mean, even the tweets that they put out are not like there's nothing happening. <laughs> they they put out a tweet or an Instagram post for the pool setter, and they put it out for the grid, and they put it out for the result. I don't think they put out any more tweets during the race, or you know, even like they don't put it out very often. So even they are not engaging with the community themselves. And that is where the issue lies. additional tweets will gradually make a difference in, in that sort of way. Yeah, and I think, you know, they need to realize something like Formula One, it is that they need to put out content on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> they have a free yeah. resource that they're not... YouTube. And, and the funny thing is, I was just... Uh, so I, I went to the Chassis Sim Boot Camp, uh, which, which I told you about. I was just in Indy last week. And guess where the Chassis Sim Boot Camp was held? It was held in the offices of the IMS production building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I have never seen a quieter production house. Obviously, it's off-season and all of that, but, uh, you know, it, it's just funny. Yeah, I, I think IndyCar has a lot of problems on, it hand, on its hands. And while things seem great from a sporting perspective, um, it, they have to do something. I mean, Firestone, I think they're bringing, like, green tires or sustainable tires or something uh, to the sport next year or the year after. Uh, I think they tested it at one round uh, this past year. So Firestone is doing things, but again, you know, the technical aspect, I, mean, I, I believe that even the teams would want something to move forward, you know. Even the teams, I'm assuming, get bored running the <laughs> same car over and over again, which is why we've seen Andretti and Penske uh, really branch out into other sports, whether that's Formula E, Extreme E, and all of these other smaller sports, you could say almost, uh, in order to grow their racing programs. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, with zero innovation and zero uh, sort of, you know, things to catch on to, you end up with the hierarchy that exists and the hierarchy just gets stronger. Since there's no jeopardy, since there's no sort of gray area, the lower teams can't really catch on and they can't really make the best out of it as such. And, you know, the top three remain the top three and the fourth team can only reach the top three if they have the budget sort of what McLaren are doing. I mean, yeah, 
so it 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 again it becomes just a sustainable sort of sport which doesn't go anywhere but like sustainable until when 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 does an indycar fan say all right like yes the racing's great but i am sort of like bored with the sport because there's nothing else yeah <laughs> because let's be honest let's be honest you don't watch yes racing having great racing is the biggest part of watching motorsport but how long before you say um i don't yeah, know yeah yeah exactly i don't know <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll yeah we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see what penske penske entertainment does with the indycar series and let's move on to the last question of our day vedant and that is will the debut of formula 3s sorry sorry let me let me repeat that will the debut of formula e's gen 3 car be a disaster that question that question itself was a disaster <laughs> right there but obviously a lot of a lot, a lot of things going wrong right um the batteries were not in place the teams haven't had enough testing time because of the issues with the batteries hankook has come out with it's is a new tire supplier obviously the tires are new the teams have to learn learn about that and the timeline even though we thought was huge at the end of at the start of the year when the formula e season ended very very yeah. very very early and we thought there's going to so much there's going to be so much time before you know season 9 and the jantri cars are going to be ready that's yeah. not the case uh the formula e season starts in about a month from today and we are still talking whether or not we we still don't know what the what the sporting regulations are we still don't know whether uh we are going to particular destinations or not the tickets are not exactly on sale for the first few <laughs> races and by that i mean obviously in particular yeah. the race in hyderabad india so there's a lot going on what is going to happen yeah i mean i don't know we we are as you said we are still talking about the season and the sporting regulations and there were there was a uh, what do you call it fast charging test of some sorts just past month and we have testing coming up from tuesday onwards yeah from 13th tuesday yeah and we don't know a lot whole lot more so i don't know i think it's again it goes back to what how formula e started because i believe they didn't have they didn't exactly have budget for even the whole season there they were running it from race to race and right now they have the budget and the backing but they don't have the technical side of it and i'm pretty sure as development goes on as develop as things go on they might change the technical regulations mid season yeah 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 and, and the sporting, sporting regulations. regulations i mean i'm pretty confident about it because that has happened in sports before but that is how uh, formula e goes about it as well formula e has operated so yeah. yeah it's 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 a dive into sort of the unknown for formula e but again it's typically it's typically formula e to have that situation you know that that is true that is true and somehow manufacturers are still coming to formula e man it's electric race, it's the is, future uh, it's the place to be <laughs> let don't don't get me started on that <laughs> don't just don't get me started on that uh, <laughs> but no it, it's very inter- i i think i think the downfall of this all of this has been so uh, again the teams have said you know that the new cars are great uh, it's just a matter of you know getting the tech right and getting it on track and you know safe and and all of that which is which is a huge part uh, and obviously it poses a real really nice technical challenge for the entire for all the engineering teams uh, back at base and on track and i think um, 
the technical director of Jaguar did an interview recently with the race. I might be wrong as to who was interviewed, uh, but they laid out, you know, what the challenges had been with the Formula E car. And obviously, like I said, the battery, the tires, and then uh, the drivers having to adapt to a new style of driving because essentially now you have region on both mm-hmm. axles and not just on one axle. Now, m- most most of this has been, uh, most of the issues with Formula E have been driven by the battery and, you know, the management tech around that and the new uh you know motors and everything right so that 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 powertrain has been the issue for formula e but i really think the issue like i i just think that formula e is in such a place right now because they try to change too many things too soon all at once yeah um you know they change the tires the car design itself the powertrain and everything and i feel if they had done it gradually they could have bought themselves not more time but more uh leeway in terms of what car they had to run you know the next season let's say if they still had gen 2 car but they said okay we're going to introduce you know the new powertrain or the new battery system uh in in season nine they could have reverted back to the old battery system in my opinion and run that for a few races and bought themselves more time for the new battery or they could have just done the tires for a season and so on and so forth so i really think that doing it all at once i mean the hype they created was great you know it it worked really well for the hype but it's been so quiet for the last 6 months like you barely hear any news coming out of formula e itself like all the news coming out is by you know motorsport media outlets who are going and interviewing people working in the different teams and not formula exactly e, uh, from formula e and i mean it's it's interesting as well because they had the plans for i mean you, we know how Formula E works. We So far, this is our third generation of cars, right? So we know how they work in steps of generation of cars. And pretty sure they would have been working on the third gen for two or three years. I think it started in 2020. So they'll be completing one yeah. and a half, two years. I mean, so this work is not done by teams who are balancing current season, the next season, and the future seasons as such. This work is done by Formula E and it's sort of sole technical, technical partners, partners who are the yeah. sole suppliers, right? So you would you would imagine that it was much further ahead than it is right now. And we only got to know about the car and the technology I think February last year. In yeah, April? The, the car was launched in April, but the technical details yeah. of it came out in March of February, uh, something around, like somewhere around the time we interviewed Jack, right? So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I don't know the timeline for these things. I'm not an engineer, but uh, as a business person, <laughs> I would imagine it to be better planned. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, Formula E, like, you know, even, even Jack said, like, what is Formula E exactly now? Uh, and and here is the question, and here is another aspect of the issue that they're going to run into, in my opinion, moving forward. I think it's been talked about a little bit previously. But here's the next issue, you know. Obviously, the, by Gen 4, at least, if, if not Gen 3, right? By Gen 4, they will be driving with more power, not just generating more yeah. power, but they'll be driving with more power, driving the cars with more power, right? So... Will it be feasible for them to run on city streets? Yeah. Because the more power you have, because even now they are, they they up the amount of power. You know the car will be delivering at at the rear wheels, right? I think it's gone up by a hundred kilowatt. So 
and it's the first time that they broke the 200 mile per hour barrier in in a formula e car so the question that comes from it is is it safe to run on city streets no. now <laughs> given that you're hitting such speeds or given that you you're hitting such uh, you know accelerations and the end of street speed might be different is it time or will there be a time when formula e will have to really assess whether racing on city streets is feasible versus uh, and you know weigh, weigh in whether or not they want to go racing on actual street circuits because the cars are so much more powerful and maybe not as nimble and agile as they were yeah and i mean it's a, it's a great great point and i think when you think about the added uh, speed of the cars and added you know uh, and you, and you think about circuits like rome and one of those very twisty bendy circuits no we, we saw what happened in the rain um, in in the us yeah. this year like the, there was a turn one pile up and uh, is like what six cars involved or three four or six cars involved or something like that so im- imagine doing that with more power yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's 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 a great uh, conflict where formula e is again you know it's 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 a relatively young series just and with this new set of regulations as you said just bringing it, bringing it all out at once it gives them a real challenge just gradual steps changing one thing at a time as i said should be it could could be a better option yeah yeah i mean uh, we'll see i mean the feedback from that race article that i referred to earlier the feedback on the tires has been pretty good uh, but it's you know again it's the powertrain side of things that is causing the issues for the team because we also heard about a, a few accidents uh, during the testing that happened uh, earlier this year you know a few drivers got a couple drivers got injured uh the cars broke down the cars did something erratic and that sort of things so clearly still a long way to go hopefully they're able to put on a show with the new cars at their full potential starting you know at, at the very start of the season and uh, hopefully the sporting regulations will sort them out as the season goes on and we talked about you know the optics of uh recharge pit stop previously and the more yeah. i think about <laughs> it and i've said this before obviously the more i don't yeah. really want them to do you know um a, a recharge pit stop as exciting as as it might be uh but yeah that's that's all regarding the questions with and let's look into obviously we've wrapped up you know the 2022 season or we can call it that at least uh, and now we'll obviously be looking ahead into 2023 what does the calendar look like because i know racing starts on day 1 of 2023 like it always does with the dakar rally yeah and I, i mean i think i feel that is the best part about the racing calendar as it stands right now you know for the past few years dakar rally in saudi arabia has been starting on the 1st of january and it goes on for two weeks it gives you enough time to you know get into motorsport a bit just just follow that it's it's like the it's, it's yeah, like the amuse bush it's it's an appetizer just get into this spirit of it and since you know you don't follow dakar or you don't follow uh rally raid for the rest of the year right you follow rally raid only for dakar you follow carlos sainz senior you follow all these guys who you don't hear about for the rest of the year and as soon as <laughs> Dakar ends you you learn a couple of new things right and as soon as Dakar ends this season we we are getting uh a formula e but as soon as get Dakar ends you get Daytona 24 hours 
you also get WRC, WRC, yeah, WRC yeah, starting in January so too, I it's a great start to the so, year I, I, uh, I love it I absolutely love following Dhaka rally for the first 15 days it's it's incredible <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, on the note of Dakar Rally, I think, uh, you know, um, Carlos Sainz Sr. said uh, that he's expecting the this year's Dakar Rally to be much better uh, because apparently there's been a couple of changes. I think uh, it's, it's going to be a new course, uh, which he's saying, I think one of the veterans of the Dakar Rally or Rally Raid Racing is out there, you know, laying out the course and, the, and also the course book, basically, you know, writing that. Because last year there was an issue with uh, the navigation book that they were given, or the directions that they were given and a lot of teams lost their way and lost two to three hours which basically ended you know their challenge for the Dakar rally win pretty early on in the first couple of days so Carlos Sainz Senior said that uh, it shouldn't be the case this year and you know the race should be much much easier from a na- you know relatively yeah. easier from a navigational <laughs> perspective because navigation shouldn't I mean, navigation should be a challenge, but not to the extent where it's, you know, the directions given are wrong. Yeah. Are wrong it should, they shouldn't be wrong. Yeah. Or it's really difficult to, yeah, or it's really difficult to, you know, uh, understand what, what they mean or what the waypoints look like and, uh, you know, whether they're hidden or not or where and to find them and that sort of stuff. And the second thing he said was, so up until last year, um, the drivers were allowed to take a break in what was called like a neutralization zone. They could stop, they could have a little bit of food, water, you know, go to the bathroom, uh, stretch their legs and get back into the car before they started off again. This year, they don't have any of that. So they have to drive every stage from start to finish in one go. There is no, you know, break in between. So it's going to be an even bigger challenge for all participants uh, in the Dakar rally this year. So those are the two things to look out for. Uh, you know, according to Carlos Sainz Senior, he said, you know, the racing should be much better uh, because the route should be much more exciting and, you know, a lack of problems with navigation and secondly it's going to be a much more tougher challenge like how it used to be uh back in the good old, old, days. Good old days according to him yeah uh, <laughs> good old days according to him uh since you know the teams won't get a respite uh in the middle of the day so there it is tune into the da- dakar rally i don't know how exactly you tune into the dakar rally because all i ever do is you know watch the highlights yeah i mean that's that's, that's how you do it on youtube at the end of the you day tune into the highlights or you <laughs> if you are a very if you're very bored and you don't have anything else to do i and i have done this i have done this i go on to the dakar website and i just look at you know the names and at what waypoint they are because it's a very good feature on the website and i i don't know if it's on the app as well but they do track all the drivers live oh yeah, that's, and, that's i mean really cool, yeah. they have a sort of map and waypoints pointed out and they track all the drivers live but the thing is you don't know how each driver is doing because they all start in intervals it's it's a, yeah. it's a staggered so, start yeah i mean you you you'd only know till when they reach the end of stage which is the end of there but if you are very bored and if you don't have anything else to do you can just go onto the dakar website learn a few more names about motorsport and just see who is leading from the past couple of days and you can if you are if you have friends who are motor sport geeks you can just tell them that hey i guess i think he could win because he's leading the championship that's it he's leading the uh, race so far that's it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 
All right, there's there's a few tip, tips from Vedant on how to follow the Dakar <laughs> rally. Uh, hope that was helpful. But that's all all from my side, Vedant. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we close out this? this yeah, uh, no, nothing else. I guess I have given. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me once again. As always, we'll bring out content that makes a lot of sense <laughs> next week. So stay tuned for that, uh, and we'll catch you in the next one.